fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it is so great to be here. And I just, at the outset of this episode, I think our exchanges have made it so I will never correctly use the word dark or black in the right place anymore. I'll be switching them, like, <laughs> without even thinking about it. <laughs> well, that that's some inside baseball, Denon. Uh, that, that is uh, <laughs> really behind the scenes, so people listening... Uh, will know that I could not quite, I was confusing, I was entangling, if I may, yeah. uh, black and dark when describing the show we're going to talk about, which is Black Mirror. Uh, but there's one man who is always untangled, detangled, <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, anything with tangled, he is not it. And that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, how is that detangler that I got you for your birthday working out? You know, it's working great, but, and I appreciate it, Dan, because I've been feeling a bit lonely up here on the brain station. I'd love to take a trip plant side to, you know, give you your uh, thank you gift in person. But have you seen the rocket fuel prices lately, Dan? <laughs> you know, there's got to be some solution that lets me visit down there without the high fuel costs. Don't you think? <laughs> uh, I absolutely think so, Ben. And hopefully we're going to get to the bottom of it. Because as I mentioned, you know, this season of Black Mirror has might just have the solution. And we're going to talk about it today. Uh, this season, you know, it's one of our favorites, guys. We've talked about it before mm -hmm. in other episodes. And this season was a little tech light. Uh, I think there's a demon in one of the episodes. <laughs> but there were others that were incredibly intuitive and, and very interesting to talk about with some great science. One that we're going to talk about today, which is called beyond the sea and this one just a quick little you know explainers recap two astronauts are assigned to a space station they're up there working but what they're able to do is to send their consciousness down to earth and inhabit these very lifelike albeit completely synthetic identical copies of themselves where they live their mm -hmm. lives and have families and kids. Uh, I don't quite know how the plumbing works. We're going to get to all that. And they're able to transfer their consciousness kind of back and forth at will, which is the interesting part here. So first, we got to go to Ben because he's the only mm -hmm. one who has been to space camp. Did they have this technology when you were there? And if so, how often did you use it? You know, Dan, they didn't have this technology that I'm aware of. You know, <laughs> okay. for all I know, there's some, you know, black programs, you know, what you... <laughs> Which is what you call the confidential stuff or yeah. classified stuff. But sure, it's not dark you know, programs. Yeah. It's black programs. It's definitely black programs. That, okay. That's what all you right. call it. Uh, okay. All right. So not that I'm aware of, again, that mm -hmm. this technology existed. But I think it's a really interesting thing because certainly being up in spaces can be a lonely thing, especially when there's only two people like we see in this show. Mm -hmm. um, you know, luckily in our technology, we have six, seven people up at a time. You know, it's a little more chummy. You got some uh, people from other countries, too. So you really get to learn about new cultures, you know, mm -hmm. a little different than where you got just two seemingly normal Americans in this situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a lot easier to create an international incident when you have just six people on a space station, right, Then, I No, mean, yeah, that, that is true. You, you got that risk. But, you know, they're generally picked yeah. to be friendly. I will say, as Ben said, mm -hmm. they're two seemingly generic Americans, except you do have one who's mm -hmm. an artiste 
who likes to paint mm-hmm. and draw, and the other who's clearly a survivalist. I mean, making himself spear fishing sticks and living out in the woods. Yeah. So they do have a little bit, I think, to learn from each other and to share. Um, I, I'm not sure how long those conversations will last before you have shared all your um, painting tips and survivalist tips. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It, they're they're definitely different personality. Mm-hmm. Well, that's you know that raises an interesting question, which we are not at all going to touch on today. But you know, what would the Venn diagram be of overlapping interests <laughs> for you to be able to be with someone long enough to be interesting, but also and not run out of conversation, but also have mm-hmm. enough to talk about without completely alienating yourself or being too alike that you end up hating each other. I think there's a science there, uh, but yeah. we're not going to talk about that at all. <laughs> what we're going to talk about is throwing your consciousness around, which is what we're prepared for. Yeah. I don't want to throw a complete curveball at you. <laughs> but what about this, mm-hmm. Dennis? I mean, I feel like as a guy who has looked into consciousness, who has studied free will, we did a whole episode on it, this has got to be something that you've at least considered, if not accomplished. Well, I haven't accomplished it despite my best attempts. Um, I did try and actually okay. send my consciousness into a tree as a young child. Um, I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. I, I like trees. What can I say? Um, they never made fun of me. Let me just say that. <laughs> um, Fair enough. But, you know, I think there's two aspects to this. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one is what you really think consciousness is would, would determine whether you think it's even doable or not. And the other is in, in sort of in this case, their technique for doing it and, and basically this machine that exists. And I think one thing you really need is the idea that consciousness is its own sort of fundamental thing like charge or spin or mass. That has to be your sort of starting philosophical point. And there really are two groups out there. I'm in that group. I happen to be in the group that consciousness is its thing. If it just emerges from the brain, um, then you run into problems with this system, and we can talk about that more in detail. But if it's, if it's a fundamental property, you can then take advantage of quantum entanglement the way we do with spin and charge and other features of systems and do what they're doing in the show, I suspect. So that's kind of the first basic philosophical foundation for this, Dan. Now, what about you, Ben? Because you're on the brain station, right? And this yes, is luck sure on all the brain stuff here, so... You yeah, know. I mean, I, I I tend to think maybe it's a little simpler than that. Uh, <laughs> both consciousness and how you would do this. Uh, I you know the, the quantum entanglement's an interesting thing because it, it creates this more potentially instantaneous version of this all. But you know, I I I could see it just being you know basic remote control. Uh, you know, you're mm-hmm. just you know, well, not basic remote control. Obviously, you're like brain jacking into this thing like the matri- the matrix or something. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, you know, I could see it just being a radio uh, talking back and forth between Earth and this station. Well, I like some features of that, Ben. Um, so I, I, yeah. even mm-hmm. though I think it's quantum entanglement, we can come back to that. Um, what's really nice from a physics point of view about the remote brain control, right, is it, mm-hmm. is it does get down to that the replicant just has to receive signals from the brain in the space station. And we already right. know how to control robotic parts with our brain. Um, so it mm-hmm. it is, and and I don't know what you're allowed to reveal these days about your knowledge on that, Ben. But I know at UCI yes. I have colleagues who work on this. And so, Dan, that is a cool mm-hmm. part. But I, my understanding is in the show they're pretty far away. So this would cause some delay problems. Yeah, that's the main issue you see. Because I think they are described as being over a million miles away, mm-hmm. which... 
you know, that's a lot of lag when it comes to uh, these conversations. And they clearly, when they're on planet, they're clearly able to have normal conversations. It's not like a sat phone <laughs> where, you know, you got a couple seconds between a uh, response and uh, uh, well, prompt and response. <laughs> well, there, there's a couple of interesting things here. You know, uh, I'm going to talk about something that uh, that may be a little woo woo, a little fringe. <laughs> But I think, and Denon, you're the physics guy, so I think there are, you know, despite the fact that, you know, the speed of light is our so-called speed limit of the universe, there are some instantaneous phenomena out there, which includes, you know, you mentioned entanglement. That's one. I think there is no space or time or time limit on where that happens. But another kind of interesting thing, and hopefully by the time this episode comes out, I will have a fascinating nouns episode on this. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. remote viewing is extraordinarily interesting. And this is something that the CIA did extremely lab tests on the ability for a human being under under laboratory conditions to be able to take their consciousness and make it non-local, as they say, which really means to take it from their head and put it anywhere in the universe, uh, and at the very least anywhere on Earth to be able to see things. Now, this has been repeatable. Uh, it's it's a very interesting way that if maybe if there was some if we could, you know, it's still kind of ethereal, but if you could somehow take that technology. Could that be harnessed in a way where you could project your consciousness into a replicant without having to do the entangling stuff? Well, it, it in my mind, yeah, sort of, yeah, no, Dan, in the following sense. Okay. Um, so okay. It, if you think about it from, let, let's just take the consciousness as a fundamental property like charge and spin, right? Mm-hmm. Then... One way I like to describe it is your brain is less the generator of consciousness and more the projector of consciousness, right? And and again, I love triggering Ben by talking about antenna. We, we know any mm-hmm. good antenna, <laughs> right, that receives can also be a transmitter. Mm-hmm. Like antenna and right. transmitters are basically two sides of the same coin. And we often describe the brain as generating consciousness, but it could also be the thing that just transmits the fundamental consciousness. And okay. what you really need in the in my mind in this, right, is like if you think about charge being entangled, it, it's really when you have uh, say light and it two photons make two uh, an electron and an anti-electron and now they're entangled around charge. You need the mm-hmm. right physical system for this to occur. So that's why I don't think your consciousness okay. could just appear anywhere. Right. Okay. You would have these two things that you entangle, and the consciousness could be showing up in one or the other. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And you know, when you talk about it showing up one way or the other, you know, one of the things we do have to talk about are these replicas, right? Because they're highly advanced. And the strangest part of the show is that, if I'm understanding it correctly, these two men spend more time in their fake synthetic bodies on Earth. That's really where they're living. Uh, than they do on the space station where their bodies presumably are lying in some sort of stasis. You know, I mean, they, I think mm-hmm. they go like weekly to the space station, which is bizarre. So this has yeah. to be extraordinarily lifelike. You know, in some ways it seems almost T-1000-esque in that it's, it's at least liquid-based. You know, so are mm-hmm. we, by the way. <laughs> um, but, but, but I don't know. So I don't know where to start with the building. And of course, an engineer is the first one you got to go to. Yeah. I mean, I got the impression it was daily, like they worked out daily. I would think it'd be more. Mm. I would think they'd have to eat more. You know, you'd think they'd still have to eat like twice a day. But uh, 
could IV. Least. You don't know what you're plugging into, right? They could literally be plugging their body into like a full, you know, care system. Yeah, I mean, IVs. I didn't see them like shoving any uh, needles in or a feeding tube in while they were right, lying right. there. That's probably coming from their back, Ben. I I'm with you. I didn't see it either, uh, right? But okay. you don't see what they're lying down on, right? Yeah, the interface could yeah. be spine injection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the interesting thing there is you have this, you know, you're, you're living in this space station and, but you're really not. They're really living on Earth. And you have to ask the question of, is this the best setup? I mean, in my mind it is because I think humans are best when it comes to doing stuff and you want your best foot forward or your best body forward on the space station. You know, I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up, Ben, because this was the thing that most disturbed me about the show, mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. I am a safety conscious person and and right. I feel like the most dangerous place is space, uh, which is why sure. we tend to send robots um, into space. Mm -hmm. No reference to you in the brain station right now, obviously. Um, and, sure. and, <laughs> and, yeah. and so I'm not sure why this body stays, stays on the earth and the human goes up. Um, but mm -hmm. I am, you know, I, I, to that point, Dan, that you bring up a lot probably depends on how they're designed and built. Cause Ben does have a good point. Mm -hmm. They seem perfectly functional in the show on earth, but they might not be mm -hmm. functional enough to run a space station as a body. So I, I but yeah. you know, we know engineers are very good at risking human lives, uh, you know, in the sake of efficiency and, and best functioning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my concern is that it'd be hard to repair them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're, they look finicky and have small little bitty pieces, whereas you can potentially design your spaceship to have big things that are easy to fix that a human can fix without, you know, with just some basic tools. Um, that seems like it would be harder with like the actuator and a finger, <laughs> for example, or something along those lines. Yeah, I guess that would be true. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, these replicas seem to do a great job on Earth, can, you know, convincing wives. Uh, I, I can't tell mm -hmm. if they're conceiving children with these replicas. So they're, I, I, they're very sure realistic. That's not happening. <laughs> I, they're a million miles away. And one of the kids is, you know, if he's 10 years old, maybe, you know, that's 10,000 miles, uh, 100,000 miles a well, year. Well, they say it's only a six year mission, so they can't have been up there that long. Okay. All right. All yeah. Right, all right. My math's not working out here. I'm not going to argue math with the, with an engineer. Uh, but but they're, they're very, you know, we can say this, you know, he's at least performing duties as a husband uh, that would that must be difficult to replicate. Right. Uh, no pun intended. And at least enough where his marriage is still around. And I think that's important because. Mm -hmm. He's still having an intimate relationship with his wife, which becomes part of the storyline. Yeah. And I think that that it would be hard for human beings to connect with something that is fully synthetic. Right. And I think that that's mm -hmm. kind of what I found interesting here is just how realistic these things must be in order for these men to be able to maintain their relationships with intimate relationships and regular relationships with people on earth. That's difficult. No, it is. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think it goes to Dan a little bit, if, if, if you don't mind me going backwards just a tad, to the question sure. of how they're made um, and mm -hmm. what they're made out of, right? Because that was part, mm -hmm. I mean, I felt that, you know, going back to the quantum entanglement, I liked how that was explained. They talked about having to make the replicant at the same time. Well, that's what you do with quantum entanglement. You create two particles mm -hmm. at the same time, they're entangled, then you move them apart. 
then they move them okay. apart. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a scene that's a okay. spoiler. Don't read too much into what I'm about to say. But it was interesting that, you know, quantum entanglement, you flip back and forth when measurements are made. Let's just say a very sudden measurement is made to the head of one of the replicants. Um, and in response mm-hmm. to that okay. measurement, he reappears in the space station. <laughs> Um, okay. I, I can be more explicit if we want to spoil it for our, our, our viewers, Dan. Um, let's just say he was totally knocked out, right? Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then maybe worse. So um, so you have, I see. you have that part that's really interesting. So they were made together, but what were they made out of? Because I also mentioned if you're mm-hmm. going to entangle, you need something that's a good receiver, right? So it has to be, mm-hmm. it has to be enough like the brain. Right, which implies some biological mm-hmm. stuff. But we do see the mm-hmm. inside and it looks heavily mechanical and wired. So I really yeah. am struggling with those two questions you've asked, Dan. How do you make it, which is entangled, if I might say, with how do you make mm-hmm. it lifelike? Because I'm really worried. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, I mean, obviously they're actors. They should have CGI'd the people on the planet and make us think that they were like robots. I mean, that that would have been more realistic. Yeah. In my, it's the one time where bad CGI mm-hmm. would have been realistic. Yeah. I mean, at first I was thinking it was more a Matrix situation where they were in a fake world on the station, um, yeah. and this was just a way for them to not get bored. Mm-hmm. But uh, more to the entangled thing. I mean, is there reason it? I I would think. You know, they say it's it has to be the people have to be on Earth, but I think it's more that the spaceship or the chair even has to be on Earth when they make the replicant. And I think it's that the replicant is entangled with the the chair or the the lounger really that they're in. Would okay. that that and that would seem safer to me, Denon? Like, wouldn't it be? I th- I would think is is it not dangerous to try to entangle a living brain with something? Well, <laughs> you know the, the the danger is as you pointed out, Ben. Right, entanglement occurs when you take one thing and split it into two. So you'd have to make mm-hmm. a coherent thing that your brain was tied to something else, and then the two brains were moved mm-hmm. apart. Um, so anything anything where you're melding your brain with something and then resplitting it, I agree, would be kind of a dangerous moment. So if they could achieve mm-hmm. it as something with the chairs, I, I do feel from an engineering design point that might be a bit safer. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, again, it comes down to what is the replicant made of. It comes down to I think Dan, your fundamental question here, um, and I. I'm really interested in those the, the shiny metal stuff because we do get an insight um, when an arm is chopped off into the inside. Well, and they do it with like a knife, right? <laughs> Which implies it's not it, it might it, it's got to be at least a soft metal, <laughs> soft some yeah soft material yeah. for sure. Um, well, so this is I think that there has to be, you know, in my humble opinion, I think there has to be some, I'm with you, there has to be some biological component, right? And mm-hmm. so I just recently introduced a friend of mine to the Terminator movie. Um, <laughs> mm. She hadn't seen it, and that was an absolute crime. And one of the things that I think is interesting about that movie is that, you know, there's this killing death machine, metal-based robot <laughs> that's kind mm-hmm. of covered in this biological material, like sod, right? Like it's <laughs> it's biological sod that's kind of rolled over, and it's all interacting. <laughs> it's all moving and living. You know, you can't really take root in this the the metal you know basis, but there's you know there's a chassis, but there's still it's still functioning, right? And I think that in some ways you kind of have to have that with these replicants in this show. You have to have biological components, um, and and I think. 
how that works, you know, Ben, you are a biological interface expert, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, not only do we have to get bio biology technology working together, it's passing off as human is difficult. You know, we know of the uncanny valley. Yeah. Overcoming that with something that is fully synthetic, I think is is this might be one of the true, you know, we talk about AI being impossible, it isn't, but I would almost think that this is as close to impossible as it gets because human beings are very good at detecting other human beings. So overcoming this uncanny valley, that to me seems like the real masterful trick here. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that goes into, especially like a face, like how do you mm -hmm. know a face is a real face? And it's all the muscles work together and the color is right because you know, when you look at the red, the rosiness in your cheeks right now, Dan, or yeah. Dan, 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 that's both, Dan. That could be either one of both us. Both of us together. <laughs> when, when you look at the rosy cheek, both of your rosy cheeks, uh, you. yes. Dr. Dan and Denon, uh, <laughs> that, that color is coming from the light scattering through your skin and basically reflecting and scattering off of the blood. And that's where that redness comes from. And part of like making good CG is emulating that blood flow and blood existence just beneath your skin. And so this replicant would have to do the same thing. And that, that's actually something that I, I kind of didn't like that when they say, you know, you see him get cut and he bleeds yellow or whatever. And I'm like, that liquid should be red. Uh, right, otherwise, yeah. it's, it's not really going to work right unless they're replicating the red in some other way. Or the skin was a different color where the yellow combined makes it look red. I don't know what that would be. Exactly. Yeah, right? maybe. But, you know, red's primary. I don't know. If yeah, I don't know how it works either. I'm not a color. I'm not a colorologist. Um, yeah. No, but you are an analytical mastermind. And you've pointed to the huge right. problem here, Dan, which is getting this right. And not only not only is the blood yellow, Ben, when, when we see the inside. And it's a very silvery mm -hmm. metal looking like thing yeah. to the wires. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it really... It really reminds me, you know, early in my career, very early in my career when I was a grad student and Titanic had come out, it was really cool to hear a physicist who had done the water programming for Titanic talk about these mm. challenges, Dan, around the uncanny mm. valley for water, which you wouldn't think would right. have one, right? Mm -hmm. And and Ben's exactly right. It's the weird light scattering properties that make us, vi we're very visual, understand mm -hmm. things. And mm -hmm. the Navier-Stokes mm -hmm. equation that describes water is one of the very complicated, we call it nonlinear, and back then computers weren't very powerful, and so you had to make approximations. And they, so they went to scientists and said, simulate water, and it looked horrible because they were simulating for particular physics questions, not for humans mm -hmm. to see it. So mm -hmm. they made a different right. set of approximations, and it looked really good, it may not have been physically correct, which is an odd thing to say, right? Like the mm -hmm. the accuracy we detect for thinking it's water is different than the physics accuracy for it being water. Now, we've solved the water problem by having faster computers, but we then had yeah. simulating cloth and fire and mm -hmm. hair mm -hmm. and to Ben's yeah. point, blood under the skin because these are, are trickier things. So. Yeah. I think you're right, Dan. You've discovered why we won't be attacked and lose the apocalypse because we'll always know they're not human. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. And and it's not just you know the blood. It's it's the whole musculature. Like your face is covered. Well, not covered. It's, your face is undergirded <laughs> by thousands of tiny yeah. little muscles yeah. that attach to your 
to your skin in very specific ways mm -hmm. and like how your lip rises when you have an emotion or when you're talking or, or things like that. Like that is all part of what we detect and how your pores stretch because of the way your skin moves across your face. Like right. if you're not replicating that in this this uh, replicant, it's not going to look right. Now, the advantage of the replicant over a human or of uh, over like a CGI computer is at the very least you can make skin that looks right. And then hopefully then you just need to puppet it right <laughs> as well, mm -hmm. which is e potentially easier than simulating all that stuff in a computer. Well, I think, you know, I think the key to all of this, if, I'm, if I had to break it down, you know, you talk about that, that lip thing, Elvis, you know, that Elvis lip curl, you know, I mean, that mm -hmm. tells, that's human. You can't do that with a robot. Every, you know, that's a telltale <laughs> sign right there. But I think then, in, you know, the key to the uncanny valley is unique, weird, and unpredictable. Meaning that mm -hmm. math and approximations in science can, they only get you part of the way. Science, uh, nature, uh, the world you know, this is why I love the, the comment in Jurassic Park, uh, chaos theory, right? I mean, the, it's all the little nuances that make something unique. That's what we pick up on. You know, this might be, mm -hmm. you guys you guys probably think my brain is my superpower, but it isn't. I mm -hmm. have a strange knack of noticing extraordinarily strange things in the world. And so I think I would mm -hmm. be a fantastic replicant detector <laughs> uh, because it's just it's just those little things, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, I was going through a list, you know, and it's it's as you mentioned, uh, Ben, it's I, it's all the facial movements, right? All the weird faces that people make. You know, Jim Carrey is a perfect example of someone, right? Like the control over facial muscles, eye contact, excessive eye contact, blinking in the right spots and at the right frequency. Mm -hmm. How can you make that into a, a mathematical equation? And even teeth. I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, some people who decide to get those that that brick of veneers that go in and they just oh, look like yeah. chiclets, right? <laughs> They mm. don't look real. They're not the teeth aren't that color. Teeth aren't white. <laughs> that mm -hmm. they aren't. They're not that big, <laughs> you know, and they have to fit into your mouth. But it's these things, you know, that make human that these are things that make humans look inhuman, you know, and then we're trying to go the other way. But anyway, this is this is all really on my mind, Dan. And you mentioned the uncanny valley, and I couldn't stop thinking about what makes us human and how can we possibly tell the difference. Well, you know, Dan. There mm -hmm. is something else. You said, you know, humans are the hardest thing, almost impossible to replicate. Um, and there is something else that's almost impossible to replicate, so your only choice is to buy it. And that is the mm -hmm. FGGBT mug, right? If you tried right. to make this yourself at home, it just wouldn't feel right. Like the grip, right. the design of this grip, it's, I've never talked about it before on the show. Like I've always talked about like the actual printing, but the grip is like inhumanly perfect for the human hand. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. you just have to buy one. That's all I'm going to say. There, there is no other choice. Only a human can yeah. grab it. Oh, There's and nothing only else a human could. can grab okay. it. It's a great replicant detector. Yeah. It's absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's the same thing with the fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology water bottle, where the the opening. I, I've opened this before, I think, on stream, but just the way it meshes <laughs> mm -hmm. so nicely, and then the seal, you yeah. know, it. it that's I, I feel like the pleasure you take in in that that smoothness mm -hmm. that may be another way to detect a replicant because a replicant may not mm. realize how how pu beautifully mechanical 
this works. And these are extraordinarily <laughs> great analog, and your your perfect human fingers twisted off that top, right, Ben? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and and sure we're do. talking about approximations here, and there's this fun t-shirt. Now, this is an actual t-shirt, not an approximation of a t-shirt, but it does have approximations of us on it. This is a cartoon <laughs> emoji brain trust t-shirt, one of my favorites, fgbt.com backslash merch. That's the place to find all of this stuff. And, and you're right, then, and these are the things that will make you human, yeah. is, buying, is buying stuff from there. Uh, but so let's, you know, one thing I want to talk about before we finish up here, guys, we there, there's a key to this, to this show that is very tricky. And, you know, uh, we're giving a little bit away here, so I apologize, but we kind of have to to go to the next part. But, you know, through a series of unfortunate circumstances, one of the men on this ship finds that he can't go back to his replicant. And so he's essentially mm -hmm. stuck on this space station. Well, what is the other, what does his buddy do? Well, his buddy says, hey, you know, well, actually, I think it's his wife who suggests it. I don't think it's him. <laughs> but but, but he, it is suggested that he inhabit his friend, his co-worker's body, and kind of walk around and experience life. Because, you know, not mm -hmm. only are these replicants fooling everyone else, they're also fooling the person whose whose consciousness is in the body because they're able to sense the world uh, as if they were human. Now, this poses a couple of very interesting difficulties in sending your mind quantum leap style into someone else's body and I don't know, Denon, if the physics for this hold up, but they are interesting. So I think it, there's three things that could be going on, and in one of them, which is my actual favorite choice, it doesn't hold up. Again, I said, you know, the bodies are what's entangled. Ben did point out that this is dangerous, you know, putting the brains together, pulling them apart. But you do have the line in the mm -hmm. show where he says, we had to make the bodies together. I'm pretty sure he said the word bodies. So, you know, if you've mm -hmm. entangled the bodies, it's just not going to matter, right? You're not going to get around it. However, Dan, I, I will let Ben expound upon this or uh, expand upon it. I don't know what the right English word is. Do both. He could do both. Do both. You know, Why not both? If, yeah. it's, if it's remote radio control, then yes, this is trivial, right? You just stick your key in and now you have control of the other body. If the chairs yeah. are entangled, it doesn't really mm -hmm. matter what body is sitting in the chairs, right? Because now the chairs are entangled. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in principle, that would work. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you've got a two-thirds shot of this being a tech that allows you to do this. Um, both of them are really bad forms of tech, though, so I don't know how that twists the odds. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think to me this exp the, this confirms my theory of it's the chair. Well, it's either radio control or it's the chair that's entangled because otherwise they should be able to just make a new a new replicant uh, for, for Cliff, I think, or Dan, whatever, <laughs> uh, whatever their names are. Um, they should just be able to make a new replicant and, and connect it to the chair if it's if it's total remote control. Right. But if it's entangled, they wouldn't be able to do that. But also he wouldn't be able to go in the other chair. So that's why I think it's the chair that's entangled. And they just want the person there so that their, you know, master replicant crafter can, you know, perfectly recreate the likeness uh, while they're while they're still there. <laughs> Ah, that makes sense. I think. Uh, yeah. Now you say perfect. Now a wise engineer once told me that perfection is in the way True. of good. So do they need it to be perfect in order for this to work? Well, yes. Perfection is the enemy of good. That's right. But that's the, that's the I one. think that's the saying that same. we would use. <laughs> right. But I, I think I think you're right. It probably doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough that it's indistinguishable. Because because we know it's not perfect. But um, human eyes aren't 
perfect either. So, you know, you can get pretty close and still trick a person. Okay. And what I really like about that is mm -hmm. is Dan got the sentence good enough, and we really shouldn't let perfect get in the way of Dan quoting us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not a perfect quote, but that's the beauty of it, right? Is you're not supposed mm -hmm. to quote it perfectly because perfect, perfect quoting gets in the way of the message, Denon. Uh, and the message here is that if we send... If I were to send my consciousness into your body, let's say, Denon, would I be able to do all of the things that I can do in my body? Can I dunk a basketball? Could I shoot, right? We've talked about muscle memory and other body. We've talked about this before, but this is kind of interesting because I'm not actually going into your body, Denon. I'm going into your replica, replicant, replica. I think replicants specifically Blade Runner. I don't know if these are, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Maybe they are, maybe they're yeah. related. Uh, but the rep, into your replica, Denon, which is computerized, which is robotic, which might be capable of more than you're capable of. So there might be some interesting compatibility issues that maybe I can be all I can be in your body. And I can, you know, do things you couldn't even dream of. You know, I, 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 you know, Dan, I have to say, <laughs> yeah. in this case, mm -hmm. I, I, like part of me wants to say, yes, you, mm -hmm. you could do whatever, mm -hmm. but there's not only muscle memory in biology, like, I, again, Ben's probably going to correct everything I say that's wrong here, so mm -hmm. I'll, I'm glad I'm going first, mm -hmm. but, you know, our understanding of human control of robotic things is it's really just like muscle memory, only it's kind of brain memory. Like, you really do have to train yourself so that your brain can talk to these things, the, the robotic parts correctly. So mm -hmm. at the at the very least, there would be a training period before, for instance, he could get the body to paint or draw or do things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, okay. And, and it could be as long as it first took him to learn it, right? And so to mm -hmm. just go in the body and be able to do what you did before, it is never just your brain. It is always your brain and your body, your brain and your robotic part, you know, whatever it is, working mm -hmm. together to train. I just think, you know, and as a high okay. level elite athlete, Dan, you understand right. that. Yeah, that's true. I do <laughs> understand yeah. that. I mean, the, this is really going to come down to is the are the replicas um, perfect copies mechanically of the people or are they just doing exactly what the person is thinking Um up on the spaceship or space station or whatever the heck it is. Mm -hmm. um, because if it's just able to perfectly recreate the the thought of what you want to do, then it, it kind of does make sense that he can paint in the other body because his, his brain memory of what it takes to paint will just be perfectly recreated by this perfect robot. Right. But if the robot is truly tuned to, or the replica is truly tuned to what that body can do and only what that body can do, you mm -hmm. would have to reteach yourself how to dunk or how to paint or mm -hmm. whatever. And I consider dunking and painting to be uh, almost identical, really. I mean, <laughs> dunking is an athlete's paintbrush, right? I mean, LeBron, yes. LeBron James is often considered to be this generation's Bob Ross, you know, if I could be yeah. so bold. Uh, but I think, you know, art is one of these interesting things where it all takes place in the brain. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. that is, it's about... To, to pay, I, I, this is coming from a non-artist, of course. You know, I'm speaking with a level of expertise on something I know nothing about. But I do believe that if you want to paint something, you have to see it in your mind's eye and then be able to re replicate that. I'm using that word in a very different way now. Uh, <laughs> but replicate your your image, your brain image onto a canvas. And I think that is the key. I mean, obviously, the muscle memory is important, but but 
if you're able to send your consciousness, then you have your brain, you have your thoughts, and you do have that artistic vision. And then, you know, translating it, I think, might be the easiest part of that equation. You know, Dan, I'm going to do a rare thing and contradict you slightly here. You do it at your own um, risk. You know that, Dennett. You do no, know No, this. I realize that. I realize okay. that. Um, right. I, too, have no experience being artistic. Um, I've, 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 I've attempted it at Disneyland where you go into the animation studio and you try and draw stuff. And I've had like one successful drawing. So that was clearly random chance. Um, however, I, I do have a daughter who is animation. And, and this is the interesting thing about the She's brain animation? body. Cool. She's animation. Oh, no, that's she amazing. Does you have animation. a cartoon daughter? That's so cool. I have cool. a cartoon daughter. <laughs> that's okay. so Which cool. Which is why she's really good at doing cartoons. <laughs> she draws humans perfectly. <laughs> she <Yeah>. does. <laughs> um, but it was interesting talking to her the other day because she was commenting how people think she must have really steady hands because she draws. And in fact, she doesn't. Like doing anything else in life, she feels very klutzy. But mm. when it comes time to draw, to your point, she can she can get her hand to do what her brain envisions, but mm -hmm. there is very much a getting her hand to do it stage, right? Yes. So the right. body does come in, and I feel that in my golf game. Like, I mm -hmm. can picture a perfect golf swing every time mm -hmm. I'm Dan, mm -hmm. and I get a perfect golf swing, eh, you know, a couple of times around if I'm lucky. And it's probably not perfect, but it's good enough. <laughs> Right. Perfect is the enemy of good, I believe. A wise yeah, man, yeah. again, once told me that. Yeah. Well, I don't know about with golf swings. I think with golf swings, you always want the perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Good enough's not going to win you the Masters tournament, I don't think. Uh, no. uh, but I think what will win you the Masters tournament, uh, guys, is you know getting everything out, right? But we've run out of time, so how do we do that? Well, we do it in our errors, additions, and omissions section. This is things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about perfection, your cartoon daughter, or this show that you wanted to talk about? Well, this I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to frame this, Dan, because I've already given enough close spoilers. This would be a big spoiler. Let's just let's just put it this way: um, we mentioned that a hand gets cut off, so I'm mm -hmm. not adding anything new. Um, mm -hmm. I just really was confused by how much that hand flopped around. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So it really makes me wonder what the energy source is for these replicants, because I'm pretty sure, um, you know, if I cut off my arm, any remaining spastic motions are because the body is fundamentally um, capacity uh, based on capacitors, right? Mm -hmm. Our nerve mm -hmm. system. So there might be a little charge left and maybe some things twitch. Okay. Um, most robots, I, I think, are not designed the same way, but I'm not a robotic expert. Mm -hmm. um, I just, and that was excessive twitching. There was a lot of power left in that hand. Mm -hmm. It was super creepy. Like it fit the plot of the movie really well. Um, but I just, that was, you know, m maybe that's the basis of thing. I don't know. Like I was. <laughs> <laughs> Too much twitching by your estimation. Too much twisting. I was having yeah. a lot of trouble with the hand. Um, I was having a lot of trouble with other things, but the hand was the big one. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what about you, Ben? You know, you are a robotics expert, but try not to go too yeah. much into that. But what about anything you missed, uh, we missed that you want to talk about? I will say to, to, to add on to, or maybe explain Denon's thought there real quick, um, a lot of robots maybe to, today do put like the power source close to the motor. So maybe, you know, there's distributed power throughout <laughs> the replicant to better replicate the human form. Um, but to, to bring the other uh, the other property into this, Dan, you know, mm -hmm. you said you're you think you'd be good at uh, following replicants. So I think we might need to give you a new uh, 
you know, middle title there, you know, Dan the Voigtkampf uh, Glenn. Voigtkampf. <laughs> I like it. I don't know what that means, but I like it. Voigtkampf. Uh, it sounds too much like Mein Kampf, so, uh, which I believe was Hitler's <laughs> manifesto. I'm not 100% yeah, sure that. that I want to be entangled. I'd like to decouple immediately from, yeah. from anything uh, Hitler-related if I could. Um, but I do love that you gave me another nickname that I, 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 I appreciate. Well, yeah. So one thing I wanted to mention, guys, is that, you know, the central theme of this episode is something we talk about all the time. Well, actually, mostly you and I talk about it, Denon, and that is what is natural. I mean, is this replica natural because it created in the lab? <laughs> it exists like a human being. It was created by human beings. It's a part of nature. We're not going to go into all that, but there was a lot of this going on here, so much so that there was a f fanatic organization that comes in and completely upends the entire world, uh, you know, uh, by their fanaticism of what is nature and, and what isn't, which I thought was just a great central theme, uh, it, it, one we didn't touch on, but we have in other episodes. So please watch our full body and you'll get the uh, everything we wanted to talk about. But of course, if we've missed anything, you know, uh, which is possible, you know, let us know about it. You can find the show on social media. We are on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. On the web at FGGBT.com. And if you want to send us a question, questions at FGGBT.com. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on most major social uh, media. Just flip my name at Denon Michael. If you're looking for me on Facebook, um, you know, the most famous and long lasting social media, mm -hmm. um, you have to stick a prof in there at Prof Denon Michael. Arguably the most controversial as well. Uh, but that's exactly. you, Denon. You got controversy written all over you. Ben, you are our least controversial member. Where can people find you and your extraordinarily milk toast views? <laughs> Very milk toast. Uh, you can find me. On all the social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And I have a website as well. Uh, I don't know as well because we didn't mention anything before, <laughs> but I do have a website. Uh, DanielJGlenn.com is where you find me. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, you've been given a lot of information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Now, it is your duty to take what we've said and do good with it. Remember, when given the choice, you always want to be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice 
that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version. Depending on what you like, we got it for you. And if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.